John, and thank you everyone for joining us uh, today for what promises to be an informative and an enlightening conversation uh, from voices that the mainstream media has ignored. I'd also like to thank the Claire Booth Lewis Policy Institute for co-sponsoring today's event. Now, for the past several years, all across America, parents, teachers, local school districts have been having conversations about how best to accommodate the dignity, privacy, and safety concerns of students who identify as transgender while also addressing the dignity, privacy, and safety concerns of other students. Solutions were found, such as the creation of single occupancy restrooms and changing facilities for students who identify as transgender, while retaining girls' and boys' room for biological girls and boys. But activists attacked these common sense compromise solutions as transphobic. Then last May, the Obama administration said that a 1972 law settles all these issues. Students are to be treated the same based on their gender identity, regardless of their biological sex. On May 13th of last year, the Obama administration's Departments of Justice and Education sent a dear colleague letter to all of our nation's schools, informing them that going forward, quote, both federal agencies would treat a student's gender identity as the student's sex for purposes of enforcing Title IX, end quote. The result of this decree was that schools would have to allow students access to bathrooms, locker rooms, dorm rooms, and hotel rooms for overnight field trips based on the self-declared gender identity of the student. But then on August 21st, federal judge Reed O'Connor blocked the decree from going into effect in all 50 states. The judge ruled that the attempt by the Obama administration to redefine sex was unlawful writing that, quote, it cannot be disputed that the plain meaning of the term sex as used following the passage of Title IX meant the biological and anatomical differences between male and female, end quote. The Obama administration, Department of Justice, appealed this ruling in October, and then just last Friday, the Trump Department of Justice withdrew that appeal and canceled oral arguments that were scheduled to be heard this week. Judge O'Connor got the case right. The Obama administration was unlawfully rewriting federal law. The term sex is not ambiguous, and it's not subject to executive branch agency redefinition to now mean gender identity. But in addition to being unlawful, the Obama administration's Dear Colleague letter is bad public policy. And that's the focus of today's panel. Today we will hear from five women from a variety of backgrounds and experiences explaining why the Obama-era rules turned the purpose of Title IX on its head how the rules turn a law meant to protect women and girls into a law that allows men who claim to be women the right to enter women-only spaces, how the Obama-era rules favor the concerns of students who identify as transgender while entirely ignoring the concerns of other students. Legitimate safety, privacy, and equality concerns exist, and the Obama administration ignored them. Today, we'll hear about those concerns. Let me briefly introduce our panelists. Miriam Ben Shalom is an educator and activist who made history for being the first person to be reinstated to the military after being discharged from service for being openly lesbian. Kaylee Triller Haver is a rape survivor whose personal experience inspired her political activism on women's privacy and safety. She serves as the communications director for the Just Want Privacy campaign in Washington state. Cami Mueller is the CEO of the Mueller Group, a communications firm. She played an integral role in the communications effort defending the state's controversial policy HB2 in North Carolina. Mary Lou Singleton is a midwife and a feminist who is an active member of the Women's Liberation Front, a radical feminist organization that filed a lawsuit against the Obama administration to restore Title IX rights to women and girls. And then finally, Emily Zenos is a stay-at-home mom who works with the Minnesota chapter of the Ask Me First campaign a project sponsored by the Family Policy Alliance to defend the safety and privacy of women and children. If your math is good, you've noticed that we only have four women on the stage. Unfortunately, due to a family medical emergency, Emily is unable to be with us uh, in person today. Uh, Miriam will read the remarks that Emily had prepared for today's event, uh, so you will be able to hear her perspective. F following the panelists' opening remarks, uh, I'll come back to the podium and open uh, this forum up to questions and answers. Let me simply conclude by saying that up until last year's primetime interview of Bruce Jenner, as he was then called, many Americans had never had a conversation about transgender issues. It's a conversation we need to have. 
But the Obama administration tried to shut down these discussions before they even took place. The Obama administration attempted to force a one-size-fits-all solution on the entire nation rather than allow parents and teachers and local schools the time and space and flexibility to find nuanced solutions that would respect everyone. For many Americans, gender identity concerns are a new reality. Rather than follow the Obama administration's rush to impose a top-down solution on the entire country, we should encourage the American people to have these conversations, consider all the relevant concerns, and make policies that will best serve all Americans. Today's event is at the service of fostering such conversations. Please join me in welcoming our panel. Thank you all for being here today and taking the time to come and to listen to us. Um, we are grateful to the Heritage Foundation for hosting. I'm just going to start right in the heart of the matter for me. As a little girl, uh, something that I was told quite often through tears is that if I did not compromise my personal space and, and my boundaries, I was somehow being unloving. And that if I did not allow my abuser to do whatever he wanted, uh, he might not be okay. That is something that way too many little girls across the entire country have to deal with. That is something that takes years and years of your life to overcome. And I remember um, becoming very, very particular about who got to see me in my private spaces. As a college athlete, I still showered in my underwear. That's what that does to girls. And it's something that I made tremendous headway on until I found myself um, working for the YMCA of Pearson Kitsap Counties as a communications director. Uh, this was way before anybody was talking about bathrooms or locker rooms in the, in the country. They decided to impose a new policy, and they wanted me to draft the talking points for it. And when they told me that they were going to open up their locker rooms on the basis of gender identity, I found myself uh, forced into a battle I had no idea even existed. And when I went to my boss and explained why I thought this was a bad idea, because as somebody who had worked for the Y for 17 years, um, I was hyper-vigilant about our locker rooms. I would regularly conduct sex offender screenings to make sure that nobody was accessing our members. And every single time that I would run one of these screenings, I would find somebody who had infiltrated the system because that's what predators do. They prey and they seek opportunity. And I recognized that this new policy that they were asking us to embrace and adopt was basically the equivalent of rolling out a welcome mat for any man who decided that he wanted to come in and access our spaces. I have sat and reviewed hours of video surveillance footage after it's been too late already. I know what happens in those locker rooms. 17 years of that. Um, but when I told my boss all these concerns, once again, I was met with that same tired narrative. You know, Kaylee, anytime I find myself feeling the way you're feeling right now, I convince myself I'm being closed-minded. Um, and, you know, this is the loving thing to do. And when I went to search for resources, I found that there really were none because nobody was talking about this yet. Um, and I ended up writing a blog that got published by the Federalist. It's called A Rape Survivor Speaks Up About Transgender Bathrooms. It was the best running piece last year, and it's not because it was so well written, it's because it was so well understood. <coughs> and. Immediately after having written that piece, I began to hear from women across the country. Every single day, for probably six months, I would receive a new message from a rape survivor somewhere. On the left, on the right, somebody who'd worked tremendously hard to reclaim and redefine those boundaries <coughs> and was seeing what was happening and said, please keep fighting. And some of those women are here. <coughs> um, when gender identity wins, women always lose. That's how this works. It's not because anybody up here has any kind of bigotry in their heart. It's because women, woman means something. And for too many of us, it means that we get silenced and told to sit down and be quiet and told that our needs don't matter. And unless we are willing to compromise <coughs> those, we are unloving. 
Statistically, every single day, almost every single day, I get a, a Google alert for voyeurism. And women across the country have been exploited daily for years and years and years. And yet I have yet to find a single incident recorded of a trans person being sexually assaulted as a result of being forced into the wrong bathroom. But somehow we get to be the fear mongers. And as a college athlete, I find it highly offensive to insist that my scholarship that I worked really hard for is now open to somebody who is six foot seven and anatomically male. There is a difference. There is a power differential. And what is happening with gender identity issues is that women are getting trampled and ultimately erased. And as I was researching all of these things, um, I found that some of the most compelling voices on this issue are the ones that weren't being heard. Uh, some of them are the women who have been fighting for years and years on behalf of other women, the feminists, uh, Miriam. And what was very frustrating for me is to know that these voices needed to be heard and that they were being betrayed by their own platforms. And so I am so pleased to be sitting here with them today. I am so deeply honored because it takes Miriam so much more courage than it takes me. I get to be heralded as some sort of a hero among my own party, and she gets none of that. In fact, she's here at the Heritage Foundation, which, you know, I'm guessing is probably not all that comfortable. There <laughs> um, There is nothing pleasant. <laughs> there is nothing pleasant about taking on this fight. You know, if I was ever going to get famous, I want to be like the Chewbacca lady or something that brings joy to the world. <laughs> This isn't fun. It's not fun to be called a bigot. It's not fun to have death threats. It's not fun to be told that I deserve to be raped or to die in a fire or, or whatever it is. This is not a pleasant experience, but it's an important one because 60% of abuse survivors never speak up in the first place. And so what you're doing is you're taking a marginalized group of people who are already really hurt and working really hard, and then you're adding and compounding their shame. And when they finally get the courage to speak up in their own defense, you're calling them a bigot. That's not right. And so today we're saying that's not okay here. Um, and I'm very excited to hear uh, what these women have to say. Thank you for your time. Do you want me to read Emily? Sure. Okay, pretend for a moment that I am a, an ardently Catholic woman <laughs> and mother of seven children. Okay? It is my pleasure to read Emily Zenos' um, statement. Um, she's taking care of a husband who became very ill, and she also has a child with an ear infection. Any parents out there um, who've experienced this know what this is. So Emily, this one's for you. I'd like to thank the Heritage Foundation and Ryan Anderson for giving the Hands Across the Aisle Coalition a platform today. I'm speaking to you today as a woman and as a mother. It's as a mother to public school students that I first encountered the idea of gender as individualism gone mad. And it's as a mother with a heart for all children that I thoroughly reject the idea of a begin quote, gender identity, end quote. The belief that one's internal sense of self determines maleness or femaleness and that the subjective takes precedence over the objective physical reality of the body is a total rejection of biological sex as immutable and fixed, and it constitutes a severing of mind and body. Our sex is who we are. It can't be amputated from our body like a limb. But the true believers of gender, gender identity are hard at work, netting converts to this Gnostic worldview that shuns the material that we humans are made of, the body. You can be assured that an ideology like this will, you, will, to use Pope Francis' words, lead to the annihilation of man in our culture, in the law, and in the lives of those who fall prey to the tenets of this weaponized civil rights movement. What worries me most is that schools across the country are quashing debate, abandoning academic pursuits, and reducing themselves to pawns in a political movement whose claims are highly questionable, unscientific, 
and have been shown to harm children. Public schools have a duty to serve all children, but a school cannot serve children and a totalitarian ideology all at once. In October of 2015, I received an email from my children's school principal that a gender nonconforming kindergartner had arrived. A whole host of demands quickly followed this announcement. The bathrooms, the locker rooms, the uniforms, really every aspect of the school's practices that differentiated between the sexes would have to be made gender neutral. It was just the beginning of a wild ride into a world where schools have become indoctrination hubs and biological sex no longer exists. A series of, uh, of surreal events un unfolded at our school. Parents were told that students from kindergarten through fifth grade would have to be taught that gender identity, sex and gender expression were all free-floating concepts through insipid children's books and propaganda framed as anti-bullying presentations. These demands, of course, were a Trojan horse for trans activism in the classroom, and it's a common tactic. Parents were told that the school would be in direct violation of the law, specifically Title IX and our state's anti-bullying law, if the school didn't equate sex with gender identity and policy and practice. Parents were told by the school's lawyer that free speech creates a hostile environment when it critiques the transgender issue. Letters that parents wrote to the school board for public comment were heavily redacted. In some cases, 90% of the letter was blacked out. The high school science teacher proclaimed that sex existed on a spectrum and that sex was assigned at birth. <laughs> Finally, even after a de facto gender inclusion policy was passed, a complaint was filed against the school with our city's Department of Human Rights claiming the school had refused this transgender child the ability to transition safely at school. In a totalitarian regime, nothing but total capitulation is acceptable. So what can we expect to see if we sit back and allow gender identity <coughs> to trump biological sex and school policies? First, schools would be affirming an ideology that is predicated on the lie that biological sex plays second fiddle to a self-proclaimed subjective gender identity and that the sex of one's body is mutable or changeable. This isn't just an idea you can tuck away in a unit study or anti-bullying presentation. It will inevitably find its way into every aspect of a school and make a deep impression on the developing minds of children. Second, institutionalizing gender ideology will require that schools ignore the evidence that it causes real harm to children. You can't extol the virtues of gender identity and question its soundness at the same time. By celebrating transgenderism as a valid identity, schools are promoting a body-mind disconnect that may very well bring on the gender dysphoric state they were attempting to prevent. And when the widely accept, accepted affirmative medical treatments of gender dysphoria in children are both poorly studied and glaringly injurious, we have nothing to celebrate. We're building a school-to-gender clinic pipeline that will feed this new pediatric specialty with young patients. There are now more than 30 gender clinics specializing in youth across the U.S., and the young patients who are under their care are often given bone-destroying puberty blockers. And <clears throat> excuse me, uh, given bone-destroying pu puberty blockers at 11, potentially sterilizing with cross-sex hormones at 16, and permanently mutated by plastic mutilated by plastic surgery soon after that. Make no mistake, schools who endorse and celebrate the transgenderism as valid are endorsing child abuse. So I ask you, A, are we a generation of parents who will allow our young and vulnerable children to be fed a false anthropology rather than take the time to tell them they are beautifully and wonderfully made? B, are we the generation of parents who will consent to our child children's sterilization rather than patiently guide them towards an appreciation of their bodies? C, are we the generation of parents who will treat our children's mental health issues with double mastectomies rather than seeking out a true re remedy? The women, of, uh, the women of hands across the aisle answer with a resolute no to each and every one of these questions. As a practicing Catholic and mother of seven, I certainly disagree 
with my radical feminist sisters in this coalition on many issues, believe me. But I'm honored to join forces with them for the sake of protecting vulnerable children, and I thank them for their intelligent and insightful criticisms of gender identity as a threat to women in law and culture. At Hands Across the Aisle, we hope to start conversations that will get people thinking critically about gender identity, and we hope to embolden <coughs> women to speak up for the hard-earned rights they will lose if gender identity is allowed to eclipse sex. I hope you will join me in saying no to the ideology of gender wherever you see it, but most especially in schools where it strikes at the very heart of what it means to educate. Go, Emily. Oh, my turn? Um, I'm not a Catholic mother of seven, seven children. Um, I'm going to start out with two quotes from The Age of Reason by Thomas Paine. To argue with a man who has renounced reason is like giving medicine to the dead. The second quote. It is impossible to articulate the moral mischief, if I may so express it, that mental lying has produced in society. When a man has so far corrupted and prostituted the chastity of his mind as to subscribe his professional belief to things he does not believe, he has prepared himself for the commission of every other crime. Thomas Paine is right. And I think that's what we see going on in society here today. There's a lot of people lying to each other and to themselves about a lot of things. Um, I came to this coalition um, in a rather odd way. I was denied the right to be the Milwaukee Pride Parade Grand Marshal because somebody had posted so-called transphobic remarks on my web page and on my Facebook page. And I was initially judged uh, unworthy because of the words of others, but that was my peak trans moment. Um, I came to this coalition because I'm sick and tired of the demonizing that I see going on in society. And one of the most cherished things about this coalition is the fact that we've been able to transcend conservative or progressive or liberal, liberal or left or right, whichever you, words you wish to use. We've come to see each other as, as women, as human beings. Um, and we're amazingly finding out that we have more common ground on some things than we even knew. I am here because as a gay woman, as a lesbian, I'm really sick and tired of being disappeared and being told that my words have no value, that I have no right to speak out, that I have no right to say anything. In Madison, uh, a woman, Thistle Pedersen, who helped arrange a nice benefit for the people protesting um, at, at the pipeline, was refused um, the ability to perform at her own benefit because she carried a sign on a woman's march that said, you know, transgender is misogyny. And all of the trans activists got all worked up and a couple of organizations complained about it. She wasn't allowed to perform. Um, I myself have been silenced and I have been threatened and what I think about people who write nasty things on Facebook or whatever is, you know, go away. And if you really want to hurt somebody, you aren't going to put it out on public media. Um, I'm here because I watched women at the Michigan Women's Music Festival be forcefully and forthrightly threatened with mutilation um, so that they would understand what it means to be transgender. Um, I'm here because I watched a very misguided human being prowl around the perimeter of the land that the festival took place on with a very large knife taped to the end of a tall pole and, and prowl she, this person did. Okay, I, I presume it was a man because it wasn't a very short human being. I'm here because I, as a teacher, I care about my students and I believe it's abuse. Look, in this culture, you cannot vote until you're 18. You can't drink until you're 21. Um, there's, you can't have a credit card uh, of your very own that you applied for until you're after 18 years of age. How the hell is it 
that you're going to give kids in, in, in kindergarten and 11-year-olds all kinds of chemicals, okay? It, it just it, it doesn't compute in my mind. I will say one thing, however. There's a brochure here that um, Mr. Perkins put out, and I, and I, I wish to argue with it civilly um, and appropriately. In this brochure, um, it says that, in part, the growing attention to being paid to the transgender movement is a reflection of the developments within the larger LGBT, lesbian, gay, bisexual, and transgender movement. That's incorrect, okay? I will tell you, as a gay woman, as a lesbian, who's been out since 1974, a lot of you out there weren't even a sparkle in your mama's eyes when I, when I started my fight, that there are a great many people who are lesbian, who are gay men, who are bisexuals, who are not happy with this, and who wish the T would just go away. Transgender issues are not our issues. And I will say that I know for a fact that a lot of what's going on here is due to you know, white male gay money because they think it's cool, HRC, and that's not Hillary Rodham Clinton. Um, and, and a couple of very wealthy trans, trans women, trans women who put millions and millions of dollars, including supporting these 30 clinics across the United States. Don't demonize us and throw us under the bus just because the transgendered people are. See us for the human beings that we are and know that there are a great many of us who are not happy with this situation, but who are also fearful of speaking out because trans activists are not polite people. Well, they may say they want to burn us, um, kill us, disembowel us or whatever. Well, this Jewish dyke does not walk through anybody's gas chamber easily or well. And I'll continue taking the heat because our shield and what we have here today is that we tell you the truth. We're not going to lie to you. We're not going to hand you a line. We're not going to tell you that gender is better than biology. Biology isn't bigotry. Biology is the truth. we all have a little fire inside of our souls and <clears throat> didn't back down to that fight. As Ryan mentioned, I live in North Carolina and um, I'm sure everyone has heard of the bill HB2. It's been on the news for several several months now. Um, I helped with that and, and I'd like to explain it a little bit. You'll probably know a little more about it than the average bear, but it, it will sort of clarify how I was brought into this. But uh, two years ago, the city of Charlotte uh, sought to pass a SOGI ordinance, uh, SOGI, sex, Sexual Orientation uh, Gender Identity, um, essentially to allow men to enter women's bathrooms, showers, and locker rooms whenever they would wish. Uh, it's against the law in North Carolina for a local municipality to do that. And um, initially, it was blocked due to confusion within the Human Rights Coalition faction, actually. And then a year later, they brought it back up, and it, it did pass. So I, I have seven nieces and nephews that live in Charlotte. And the idea that my niece would be approached, uh, perhaps in a shower, or, or even to see male genitalia for the first time as a young girl grieved me. <laughs> like, couldn't sleep at night, grieved me. And I helped uh, from that day forward. And um, so after a pass in Charlotte, uh, we had to have a fix to that huge problem that now existed. Um, so HB2 was passed and, and it was a fix of that issue. But I think the biggest thing in North Carolina is that I am passionate about is how we have been targeted and bullied by corporations. Uh, my personal favorite, the NCAA. <laughs> I'm a former D1 college athlete, and frankly, that ticks me off. That my blood, sweat, and tears, uh, many hours in the driving range, 
putting for hours on end is now being used to tell me that uh, men should be allowed in the locker room of my niece. Um, they pulled out sub several championship games from North Carolina, which, as you all know, uh, accrues revenue for our state. We're, we love basketball in North Carolina. I won't tell you what team I root for, but um, <laughs> it's, it's a big deal and it's frustrating to me. We have so many epidemics for college athletes out there. We have a concussion epidemic. That would be a great thing for the NCAA to maybe focus on. Perhaps they should add that to their to-do list. What about the college rate problem, um, especially amongst athletes who are in close quarters already without having to allow men to enter women's bathrooms, showers, and locker rooms, that maybe perhaps they could spend some time on that. That'd be awesome. Um, student debt problem. They could maybe work on that a little bit so that college athletes like me don't leave after spending several hours of uh, precious time and energy in the gym lifting weights for them to make money on their ticket sales and licensing uh, apparel to to help us make sure that we leave college debt free after putting in all that work. Um, the NCAA, in my opinion, probably needs to have the Congress should probably take a look at their nonprofit status. If they're going to be activists and and say that men should enter uh, women's bathrooms, showers, and locker rooms, I think their nonprofit status needs to be reconsidered and. Um, I also think that if we follow that logic, then women athlete, athletes wouldn't exist anymore. Why don't we just have one unisex unified team of basketball players? How would that work out? You play basketball. <laughs> to my knowledge, especially with the NFL, because this ticks me off too, with the NFL being all political on this. I'm sorry to hijack No, hijack. <laughs> it makes me mad. I have not ever in my life seen a single female, because biology matters, on the field of the NFL doing anything other than shaking pom-poms. <laughs> so you can go ahead and declare that anatomy doesn't matter, but that's just not true. Right. No, proceed. Sorry. No, <laughs> so I, you know, I wish the NCAA would really butt out of both of this issue, but also out of our state. Um, I can't tell you how many meetings I've been roundtable of lawmakers where I'm to this day pleading with them to stay strong on this issue because it, our, our whole state has been branded in a negative light um, simply because our, our former governor, Governor Pat McCrory, <coughs> um, our state legislature, our awesome Lieutenant Governor Dan Forrest have, have fought to protect women like me, little girls like my nieces in Charlotte. And our, our now governor, Roy Cooper, he in fact just last week came out with a new proposed um, repeal of HB2, and it's essentially a look but don't touch. So the new governor of North Carolina, Roy Cooper, is trying to make voyeurism legal, essentially. Um, so I, you know, this, the, the fight in North Carolina is not over. I think the Human Rights Coalition um, put a target on us. We're Southern. We have the fastest growing economy in the entire United States, and um, they know that if North Carolina falls, oh, <laughs> hello, um, they know that if North Carolina falls and crumbles, that everyone else will too. Um, so they're just putting their little thumb down on us, and I think it's time for them to take a hike because we're not doing anything. The end. <laughs> Singleton. Um, so as a long-term leftist, I um, can't believe the next sentence I'm going to say. I would like to thank the Heritage Foundation <laughs> for making this, this important panel discussion happen. Um, I am a women's liberation activist. Um, my, I've, I've worked, I worked for almost 20 years as a home birth mid midwife in my community. Um, I work now as a family nurse practitioner serving mostly women and children. Um, my entire life work is fighting for the class of people who are oppressed on the basis of their biological sex. Um, these people are aborted in the womb when vulvas show up on the ultrasound, um, smothered to death in infancy because they don't have penises, to the point where we now have towns in India where there are 160 male children to every 100 female children, like this global femicide happening. Um, they are sold to old men as rape and breeding slaves, and it gets called child marriage. Um, they have their external genitalia cut off. Um, 
they, so they will no longer enjoy sex and to control them sexually. They go to jail for suspicious miscarriage. Um, they are forced to birth rapist babies. They suffer court-ordered cesareans. They um, are criminalized, sometimes even for things like extended breastfeeding. There are women who've had their children taken away for that. And as someone who fights for those people, I'm very upset that the gender identity movement has stolen from me a comprehensive name for that group of people that I fight for. Because now I'm being told it is transphobic to call those people women and girls. Um, because now what we're seeing is this legal erasure of the material reality of, of sex and this redefinition of sex as what set of, in my opinion, odious sex role stereotypes you identify with. I would like to see sex role stereotypes abolished, not codified into law as the very definition of male and female. And I'm really getting frustrated and tired that this, the things that I just said are forbidden discourse on the left and that women like myself who speak out about this, of the legal erasure of, of women and girls and the, the complete eradication of any material meaning of female um, we are called bigots, we're, uh, we get death threats, rape threats. Um, my, own, uh, my own nurse practitioner practice was targeted. Um, I suffered from a um, boycotting campaign, a letter writing campaign to my licensing board saying that my license should be taken away for the hate crime of refusing to honor the preferred pronouns of a serial child rapist. This is, this is the kind of insanity we're dealing with. And like Miriam, I'd also like to share a quote. Um, mine is from the French Revolution. Uh, it's from Voltaire. Those who can make you believe absurdities can make you commit atrocities. And this is the railroading of, of complete insanity. Like everyone knows, like we are a species, we're sexually dimorphic. For some reason, you know, I have friends on the, on the left who, who will go on and on telling me like sex is a, it's, it's just a social construct, it doesn't really exist. But for some reason, like, if they want to have backyard eggs, they know to just get hens. You know, like, that's, <laughs> it makes no sense. <laughs> and this whole idea of, you know, the, the only reason your parents knew to, to raise you with this set of, of gender rules is because the doctor assigned you a sex at birth. Like, for one thing, as a midwife, I just want to say, like, you know, home birth midwives, we don't announce the sex. Like, that's something that parents, we, we you know, we believe people are smart and they can figure it out. <laughs> and having had both of my kids at home, like, there was no doctor there to assign sex to my children. I, and I had to apologize to my kids that we've just been winging it the whole time. <laughs> just assumed they were, one was male and one was female. <laughs> But no doctor came and assigned them, you know? So who knows if we got it right? But, and then at the same time, like these, these same people can somehow figure out what sex their dog is. Like it makes no sense. The cognitive dissonance is, is just mind blowing to me. So I, um, I feel, you know, this, I, I really believe like if we lose this fight as women, we have lost everything. And some examples of that are, um, Last year or the year before, there was a Supreme Court ruling of um, it is not sex discrimination to fire someone for breastfeeding because men can breastfeed now. Chestfeed. Yeah, chest but, which we now, actually now it's considered transphobic to say <coughs> breastfeeding. We're supposed to say chest feeding because it's upsetting to the, the women who were so, you know, they hate being women so much they want to be known as men and then have the nerve to come into our most sacred spaces of midwifery and breastfeeding and say, you have to do everything I say because I'm a man now, which is like, it's the same game. Like, I'm just like, this is the same story that's been going on. Um, so that, you know, we, it's no longer sex discrimination to fire someone for breastfeeding. If we redefine sex as gender identity, it's, it's essentially legal to fire someone for menstruating because they're like, how can you say that's not, there's not a specific law that says you can't do that, but we have laws that prevent sex-based discrimination. Um, so if we lose this, we have lost everything in terms of our legal protections. And that is why I, am, as a board member of the Women's Liberation Front last year, supported our decision to sue the federal government to, re, um, to stop the reinterpretation of Title IX to mean gender identity instead of biological sex. Thank you.
Yeah, I want to add something just from a personal perspective here. Is phobia means you fear something. I'm not transphobic. Okay. I'm not afraid of any transgendered person. Okay. I don't care if a biological male wants to wear a dress and put on a wig and put on makeup. That's his choice. And as long as whatever he does doesn't hurt another human being and whatever else he does is with you know, a, a consenting adult human being, I don't have a problem with it. I don't care. But I do have a problem with their insisting that there's something that they are not. Um, I'm confused. All of these trans activists are attacking women's spaces only. Do you ever hear of them taking on male-only space? The gay male community has male-only events going on all the time and no big deal is made out of it. I mean, if they're really interested in attacking, you know, same-sex spaces, you know, why don't they take on the Vatican? <laughs> I mean, Talk about a same-sex space. Uh, no insult to any Catholics, but think about it for a minute. The fact of the matter is, is I'm sick and tired of transgendered people making it all about them because you know what? It's not about bathrooms. Okay, It is about bathrooms, locker rooms, women's shelters, women's jails, and women's spaces. And the real issue here is male violence. That's what it is. Okay, and that's what we're talking about here. If trans women were really women, they would understand that the issue is male violence and they would sit down with us and civilly work together to find an acceptable solution to this problem. But all I hear is gimme, 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 gimme. You do, you do, you do, okay? They want, they want, they want. And to me, that's patriarchal. That's just males that think they're entitled demanding stuff. And unfortunately, they do it to women because they think we don't have a lot of power. Oh, yeah? Well, you see what's coming because we're not going away and we're not going to sit tight and be quiet. The issue is male violence. The issue isn't just bathrooms. The issue is a lot more. And it literally means the safety of women and girls. Because you go into the bathroom or whatever, how do you know who somebody is? I mean, Criminals and voyeurs don't have a little label. Great. Please join me in thanking the, the whole panel. We do have some time for questions and for some answers. Um, someone will bring a microphone to you. I ask that you keep your question short. I ask that you make your question a question. Um, so it should end with a question mark and be phrased as a question. Uh, we'll go to Jordan Lawrence. Jordan Lawrence with Alliance Defending Freedom. Thank you for your powerful testimony. I want to ask any of you, but especially Mary Lou, why do you think that feminists aren't more hesitant for the reasons that you stated to join in to the, the transgender movement? It would seem to me that it attacks all of their basic assumptions that being a woman is an objective category, and yet there seems to be just such uh, quick caving in an agreement with it, and that I, I, it's, I find it baffling that you seem to be one of the few dissenting voices and Miriam, et cetera. So why is that? Why aren't there more of them just at least on the fence at least? I think the backlash has been so vicious. I think that when women do stand up, it is shocking the vitriol that we receive. Um, I, I like I said, I mean, I, I have people trying to take away my nursing license because I won't honor the preferred pronouns of an admitted child rapist. Like this is, it's, it's vicious, it's vicious. And so I think that's part of it is, is people are afraid. And um, I think a big part of it too is what's happened to activism in this country on both the right and the left is that we don't really have grassroots movements anymore. We have funded paid activism. and. The left is locked down. Like, who is funding this? Like, if you want a job with any, you know, with, with RH Reality Check, if you want a job with Planned Parenthood, if you want a job on the left that pays, you have to be in line with this. I know many feminists who have either been threatened with loss of work or have actually lost their jobs over this. The same in academia. People are afraid. So unfortunately, it's, it's, it's a terror campaign, and people are just not speaking up. 
for every person who comes after me calling me a transphobic bigot, I get 50 messages or phone calls from women who say, thank you for speaking up. I agree with you, but I'm afraid. I, I, have, to, I have to agree with what she says, too. I, I get threats, you know, and, and it doesn't bother me because I don't fear any man, I don't fear any woman, and I don't fear any God. And I didn't fear the, the guy who tried to carjack us and whom I tackled <laughs> to prevent them <laughs> yeah, at, at 68 years of age. Not bad. Um, it's, it, it is what it is. The, women are afraid. They actually believe when these people start, you know, burn them to death, kill turf scum, kill all turf scum. Um, women in Coalition has a website now, and we have a resource page on our website where you can actually, and we'll be putting some screenshots up there so you can see the kinds of language that we deal with. It, it's really hard because women are not trained. I mean, I'm lucky. I, I, I was a drill sergeant. Um, I was trained not, not to be afraid in situations. I was trained to be analytical. Not everybody can do that, and I understand why they're afraid. But I wish women would start looking inside of themselves to seize the power that lays within us. Mm -hmm. Because it's there and it's waiting. Because I'm one, she's one, you're one, Cammie's one. But what would happen if we all did something, if we saw something? If we all said something, if we heard something? It wouldn't be one, one, and one. And those people who do the threats would be dealing with a lot more than one, 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 and one. Yep, right here. Okay. Uh, I'm just, thank you. I'm Antonia Bookbinder, and I wanted to ask, having had a daughter who spent two years thinking that she was really a gay man and researching mastectomies online, when really what she was was a somewhat masculine young woman who liked boys, how do we, and this is something I think is particularly important for the conservatives among us, how do we protect kids who are gender nonconforming, girls who are tomboys or masculine, boys who are more feminine. How do we protect those children? Because I think what is happening with the child transition stuff is frankly eugenics. We're Absolutely. looking at the eradication of boys who are going to grow up to be gay or girls who are going to grow up to be either butch or lesbian. And I find that very disturbing and I really want to know how our conservative uh, allies can help take on that issue? I'm not a parent. I feel like I should not answer this question. I don't know how to answer that. Well, I'm, I'm just going to wing it and go for it. Like Miriam said, we're all, each of us, one person. I think a good place to start is having this conversation at all. I do, as a conservative Christian woman, um, I do not personally conform to some of the gender norms that maybe were imposed on me a little bit. I'm speaking out, I'm leading. And I mean, there is, within the conservative circles, sometimes, not all, but gender norms that are just kind of predetermined. And so we have to be able to challenge those. And I think being here is one way to do that. But there, it's, we kind of threw the whole kitchen sink in. I mean, it's, it's all or nothing, right? Like you can challenge a gender norm without actually thinking that you are a different sex. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's, it's, it's bizarre to me that there's this huge space in between that needs to be navigated that nobody seems to be able or willing to do. Um, but I think the conversation and, and being brave enough to ask those questions and to push, push a little bit. I mean, I'm an envelope pusher by nature. I want to see, you know, what needs to happen. But I, I think we need to have a lot more discussions about that. I think that's a fair point, and I hope that conservatives will take on those issues. I can say something, too. Um, I wouldn't be here today, and, and no matter what you might think, I, I, I am in debt to the Heritage Foundation because they've offered us something that no organization from the left did, which was a safe place to speak. Mm -hmm. And so I don't feel too, too bad about being here because I'm not being yelled at or screamed at or threatened. My, my hand is out to you. If you want to fight this, you won't agree with lib, you know, radical feminists on everything. I, I, I can guarantee it, okay? <laughs> but we have common ground on this one issue. And so when you want to do something and you want to encourage people to look at and challenge things, invite 
the radical feminists along and, and make sure that they know that this is the issue, you know, and don't, don't attack them or demonize them for any other views. You might find you and I have more common ground than you could ever possibly know. But it's like, together we can do it. We can. And if you extend hands, hands are going to be extended to you. Trust me on this. I'll come. I'll stand with you. Me too. <laughs> I, um, I'm not on the conservative side of, of the spectrum, but I want to say to people like at the ADF and to people working on this from all sides that I really believe it is a mistake to fight this under the umbrella of religious freedom. We need to fight this on the basis of reason. This is not reasonable to tell us material sex does not exist. Material reality is a construct. And it can't, you know, of course, I, I believe, I'm a huge <coughs> proponent and, and believer in the First Amendment, and it's horrifying to me how, how that's um, disintegrating in this country. But I would really ask conservatives to fight this on more than just a re religious freedom issue, please, because children are being sterilized and and this is absolutely is eugenics that's happening and we need to be calling this out as an atrocity as a human rights violation and as something completely unreasonable that's being done to our children yeah, uh, Zach Ford you keep calling on men Ryan except for the one lady I thought She's this was a man no I thought except for the one I thought this was to be a ladies discussion well, I apologize for being a man asking another question. Um, a lot of your comments today, uh, and particularly Emily, so I, I appreciate that she's not here to answer this question, have sort of just been dismissive about who trans people are and what they experience in their lives. And so my question for all of you, uh, whoever wants to answer, is what, if anything, would convince you that trans identities are legitimate, that transitioning is medically necessary for their mental well-being, and that the best way in society to do right by them is to honor and respect and affirm their gender identities, their pronouns, and their, their names. Thanks. I don't, I don't know if I feel comfortable answering a hypothetical question that way, and you're sort of asking me to prove a negative. Mm -hmm. I was born a female, or, or you know, you're either born a female or a male. There's not, um, there's not a third option. And I think to even, even justify that with an answer is, is any more than the answer I've given is, um, would be a mistake. I, you, there's nothing, there's nothing. You were born male or female, period. I think people have a right to identify however they want. They don't have a right to tell me I have to agree with them. My pronouns are I, me, myself. Us and we, if I'm referring to myself as part of a group. You can call me whatever. I don't have a right to tell you what pronouns to call me. You have freedom of speech. Thank goodness for the Bill of Rights. Thank you. I'm so grateful for the First Amendment. And this is the issue, is this is ideological totalitarianism. Trans people can believe what they want. They don't have a right to tell us we have to believe it. As far as whether or not medical interventions are necessary, there is a long-term follow-up study out of Sweden that people should look at that actually shows worse psychological outcomes 10 years after transition for people who've undergone surgical transition. There was actually a higher suicide rate after transition than in people who, who did not pursue that. I know. I know many, um, as I know many detransitioners who, m many of whom were transitioned pediatrically, who are upset that that the adults in their life let this happen to their bodies. We have federal laws in this country that you can't use Medicaid and Medicare funds to sterilize someone until someone's over the age of 21. We're sterilizing 11-year-olds because they want to shop in the wrong aisle at Toys R Us. This is insanity. <laughs> And I think what Miriam said is important, too, because I think most of us up here honestly believe in freedom, and we want, we believe that people should be able to dress and inhabit their space by their own standards. The problem that we're having is when those standards and those demands come back on us. And I, in order to validate somebody's personal identification, I have to erase my own. That's not okay. I, I mean, if I can't even use the correct anatomical term for female genitalia because now it's trans-exclusionary, that's a problem. That's bullying. And I think that we need to start naming it as such. And it's, it's unfortunate that the people on the losing end of this are females. Right. 
Um, and, and I just don't think that that's okay. And I would love to see some of that empathy that's being demanded of us uh, given to us as women who have endured enough already. I'll, I'll answer it as well. I, I, I really, I don't care. Trans people should be able to live without fear, without discrimination. They should be able to have employment and not have any discrimination in housing or jobs or anything else. But I'll be damned if I'm going to allow them to co-opt the word woman, the word vagina, um, ovaries, uterus, and say, oh, it's transphobic, it's trans-exclusionary. It's now, by the way. You know, yeah, front hole. Well, front hole, inquiring Somebody front holes want to know. Okay? <laughs> I mean, the trans people are demanding, 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 but we don't see any commensurate. Well, don't call me cis, C-I-S, and don't say that I can't use the proper words for my body because I will. Um, the very thing that trans people want, which is acceptance, is what they're denying us and insisting we may not have. I will not be censored, and I will not be silenced by them. Hell with it. <laughs> Uh, right in the front row. Hi, I speak louder. I'm Christian Costa. Um, my question is for you, Mary Lou. You talked about um, the right, you know, fighting it as a reason argument and that building more uh, of a connection with those on the left who we might disagree with on other things. But what about um, if you fought it as a religious thing for all religions? So, for instance, Muslim women who would feel uncomfortable uncovering in a locker room with men, you know, how do we fight alongside those religious allies that aren't within our religious groups, and should we label it as a religious fight when it comes to defending other people's religious freedoms, not just our own? I, th I think it is a great question, and I think that, um, I think it's a mistake to primarily fight this as a religious freedom issue, because there are atheist women being harmed by this, there are, there are people, agnostic people being harmed by this, um, so where I think, so I've, I've had a lot of talks with Michelle Cretella of the um, American College of Pediatrics, and, and again, she and I disagree about many things, but we have, we talk about our Venn diagrams overlapping in this area. Um, and we're very concerned about medical providers being forced by law to participate in the, the sterilization of gender nonconforming children. And I think it is an incredible mistake to fight that on the basis of religion, because then I don't have a right as a non-religious person to not participate in it. And it's, it, we have to fight this based on reason. And that fight should protect people of all faiths as well. It's, we are a sexually dimorphic species, and that's material reality. And to become untethered from material reality is the definition of insanity. I'd also like to add that reason does not exclude religion in, the, in this instance, okay? Um, Orthodox Jewish women would be very uncomfortable. I, I'm a member of the Jewish Community Center in Milwaukee. I'm, I'm not a religious Jew um, per se, but spiritually I am a whole lot. Um, they wouldn't be very comfortable with it either because even at the JCC they have special days for Orthodox women where they can go swimming and do whatever they want to do, and then they have special days for Orthodox men because that mixture isn't allowed. I think it has to be two-pronged. First reason, and then acknowledging that there are also religious depths and, and vistas to this that not everybody may be aware of. But reason should come first because science is science. You know, transgendered people are human beings and they deserve the respect and to be treated decently, but we are not seeing that commensurate respect or decency back. And you know, nolite te bastardes carvorandorum. Don't let the bastards grind you down. Read the book, The Handmaid's Tale by Margaret Atwood. Um, it's really quite frightening, and there are there are more things coming out as well. And it's the move to erase us. I mean, I. I just read something recently, it was a poster, remember the one about if you have, what is it, sexually, the, the superior child? Gender giftedness? Yeah, gender giftedness, that parents who allow their child to be genderly giftedness, have gender, are superior. You know, what you said about eugenics, as a Jew, I know it very well. And, you know, it's like now, if you allow your child to have, be gender gifted, whatever that means, I don't know that somehow they're superior to other children? 
OMG, WTF, you know? <laughs> <laughs> yep, on the aisle. Hi, ladies, thank you so much. This was incredible. I'm from the Christian Post. I was wondering, I mean, the most famous argument that I have seen, and I've gotten into it with people just unsuccessfully, is that, and you touched on it with your comments from the rejection of reason and the Voltaire believing absurdities, all that, is that it would just seemingly strike a rational person that if you, that pedophiles are going to exploit this law as an entry point to do these despicable things. And I've heard many, many times people just scream back in my face, they're we're gonna do it anyway. This is not gonna do, I mean, there is not gonna, I mean, you're not helping anything by doing this. Like, can you please, I mean, I know reason doesn't work, but what have you found effective? Anything? Because that's just, I well, hear that all the time. I mean, I, I feel like there's this preset form of talking points that they're gonna throw at you regardless. But that argument breaks down real quick when you talk about TSA at the airport. There's already a law that prevents people from hijacking an airplane. So I guess it's doing its job and we don't need to go through the security clearance, you know, because if anything bad happens, well, you can call the police. I mean, it's just nonsense, right? The most important feature of any kind of safety plan is prevention. And when you blur that line and prohibit women from speaking up in their own defense and, and you normalize the presence of males in their spaces, you're removing that, that frontline um, policing, if you will. I mean, in Washington State where I live, if there were a predator in my locker room, and this is, I'm sorry to be like brazen and, and blatant this way, but um, I actually had to ask the question, I said, what if there was an erection next to me in the shower? At that point, am I allowed to raise my hand and say, hey, this is alarming to me, I am concerned for my physical safety? And the answer that I got was, well, no, because sometimes, I mean, that's a normal bodily function, and sometimes the warm water can produce that, to which my response is that is a normal bodily function for males. Right. They don't belong <laughs> in my shower. But that's the kind of thing we're having to argue with. And it's, I mean, there's no logic there. But uh, you can't take away screening measures that are existing in the first place to prevent harm. I mean, oh, it's okay if you get violated, then you can just call the cops. No, that's not good enough. That's, that's abusive. Any law or any rule that forces girls to compromise their boundaries that way is abuse. And until we start speaking it on those terms, like we need to talk about it like that. That's what it is. It's not hyperbole, it's abusive. So it's it's also illegal for men to assault trans women in the bathroom too. But for right? some reason, nobody like nobody uses that to explain why people with penises should pee in the bathroom with urinals. You know, it's like they're <laughs> There's, it, it's not going both ways. Like women are supposed to be okay that, oh, the law already protects you from well, men. We're fear mongering. Yeah, we're fear mongering. <laughs> right, right. But yeah. It, it, the, Charlotte, the Charlotte bathroom ordinance that was passed, we, Mary Lou and I were talking about this last night. Um, the guy who spearheaded it is a registered sex offender. And you know, the Lord can redeem and hopefully he has changed his life. But it is worth noting. It's something to, to take note of that. Um, at some point in his past, that, that was a part of who he was and that he is fighting to have access to my bathroom and the bathroom of my niece. So, um, yeah, I mean, it's, I don't think it's something that it, it should be discussed a lot more, especially when, when some of the folks, not all, but some of the folks do have a, a past um, dabbling in that. You know, it's interesting. If you were marching into combat for the first time, you've never been there before, this is not your thing, would you reject the advice of somebody, a combat veteran, who'd already been there, who already knew the lay of the land? Wouldn't that be foolish to ignore what they had to say about how this works? And what you're doing with women here in particular is a lot of us who are speaking up and saying, hey, guess what? We know all about predators. We learned that the hard way. Um, maybe listen to our instincts because we know really well how this works. But they're not listening, and we're being you know, hysterical or dramatic or whatever it is. We know really well this is what happens. This is why there's voyeurism in my Google alert feed every single day, um, because there are opportunists. That's, I mean, there are sick fetishes out there. I am not saying transgender people have those fetishes. I am saying that we don't know the difference. Gender identity, when you use that term, it is synonymous with anything goes. So anytime you read that in a law anywhere, you might as well just replace it with anything goes. Because you've got Danielle Moscato and Alex Drummond, these 
fully bearded males saying that declaring to women that they are going to uh, broaden or widen the bandwidth of what it means to be female and they have full beards and male parts and they're declaring that they have a right to come shower next to us so if that is the case if that's the reality somebody with a full beard and male parts is female how are we supposed to know i mean it just it doesn't make any kind of reasonable sense there is no rational defense of the, that's why they are so aggressive and so hostile is because it's the absence of any kind of legitimate argument they're going to just get aggressive and hopefully you'll be scared and run away and it's working and it needs to stop so so we have gone a little bit over time so i'm going <laughs> to um, ask for one last question uh, that'll give the panelists a chance to say any last thing um, that's on their mind um, are there any women that have a question i don't want john yelling at me again yeah right in the middle thank you my name is Meg Kilgannon. I'm from Fairfax County, Virginia, and um, we've been uh, fighting this battle with our school board for quite a while, um, or well, since 2015. Um, I'm worried, as a mom, you know, we're fighting this now, but I look forward to what's going to be next because there's always something more that these the people want on their agenda for inclusion or whatever, however you want to phrase it, frame it. Um, so I'm worried, are we starting to see a, a society where we're separating parents from children within the schools where my child could potentially go to school at home, this child's a girl, but goes to school and identifies as a boy and is called Jack and male pronouns and I'd have no right to know that because of their gender rights? I, that that's the, really the human rights commission it. actually has produced or campaign human rights whatever the hrc has produced an actual guide for schools in transition that addresses that it's called like the unicorn the gender unicorn well that, there's that but there's actually a guide specific for schools and educators in learning how to navigate this <laughs> potential situation where parents could be harming their kids and now we're going to be the safe haven over here um separating doing exactly what you're saying it's it's actually in writing already. So. They're using yeah, human, human. Oh, go ahead. Sure, go ahead. They're using laws that um, that criminalize gay conversion therapy, which should be criminalized, um, and using that to criminalize not going along with with telling a kid that they're born in the wrong body, which, in my opinion, is is especially Orwellian because I believe the medical transitioning of children is gay conversion therapy on steroids, literally. <laughs> it's true. So with that, um, <laughs> um, you've heard from four incredibly brave women uh, this afternoon. Please join me in thanking them.